I was born in a small town just north of Brandon, Manitoba, while my dad served in the Royal Canadian Air Force. I had an older brother and an older sister. Six years later, my dad would retire, we would move to a small town north of Winnipeg, and my little sister was born. However, the greatest influence on my life course was not any of those changes. It was the fact that my father would decide to leave our family. From the age of six onward, I grew up without an active father in our, in our family. Interestingly, my father would continue to live in the small town that I lived in, and so we would see him from time to time, mainly at Christmas. He would drop by for about 15 minutes to wish us all a Merry Christmas. And I still have this vivid memory of Dad's visits at Christmas time. He'd be standing behind this half wall, and it became a picture of the distance between a father and his children, the fact that he was there, but not really. And growing up, I never had an active role model that would help me to understand what it meant to be a man, what an involved strategic father would look like, or what it meant to husband a wife. Much of this I would have to learn by observing others, and much through trial and error. I would spend my teenage years and my 20s searching for what does it really mean to be a man. In the strange turn of events, that search would lead me to a lifelong journey in ministry that's now involved in helping men discover what it means to be a man created in God's image, and what it means to be a man indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. I began to explore spiritual issues, and my understanding of what a heavenly father looked like was very much based on what an earthly father had looked like to me. You see, I thought that God was involved in my creation, but that he observed me from afar. And in terms of real interaction, he was distant, and I wasn't sure he cared a whole lot. I had this picture that God was this grand clockmaker, that he had created this clock, wound it up, and then he left it just to run on its own. I grew up realizing that my feelings and my experience couldn't be the standard of my belief system. I had to believe in a reality that was true, even if it contradicted my own experience. As I came to understand the Bible and as I came to grow in a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I understood that my view of God had been greatly distorted by my experience with my own earthly father. Wow. Thanks, Kev. So true that our relationship with our dads can, can really impact our earthly relationships and our spiritual relationships also. Well, my dad, my dad grew up in a very poor, very rough part of Belfast, Northern Ireland. His home life wasn't much different. It was poor, rough, dysfunctional, violent, abusive. Uh, fueled by uh, alcohol consumption as well. And needless to say, it didn't take long uh, into his life, probably before his teens, uh, when my dad was a petty thief, uh, was smoking and drinking. He didn't have a really good role model in his life either, Kevin. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, my dad, or his dad, my grandpa, was away from home lots. When he was around, um, I, I think there was lots of alcohol abuse and, uh, and violence as well. So without a positive father figure in his life, my dad's life continued to spiral downwards and it got very messy and it got very ugly. Ironically, uh, my grandpa once said of my dad, there was no hope for him. I wanted nothing to do with him for when he was sober he'd be conning someone to get money for a drink and when he was drunk he'd just be raving mad. I thought he'd end up in jail again or in an asylum or in the city cemetery. My dad's life was empty, it was hopeless, it was meaningless. He didn't seem to have anything in his life that could help him to turn it around. 
He had been kicked out of the British Army for misconduct. That didn't straighten him up. Uh, he spent two years in jail for robbery, and that didn't straighten him out. His, his parents pleading and threatening and even abandoning him, giving up on him, didn't change him. He believed there was nothing that could change him or, or redirect his life. Strangely, one Saturday night, he was leaving his favorite bar there in Belfast and, and ran into a street preacher who uh, grabbed him by the arm and said, looked him in the eye and said, Gorman, God can change your life. My dad laughed him off, and, uh, not out of disrespect, but, but because he just did not believe there was anyone or anything in this world that could take him off the path of self-destruction he was on. The preacher never gave up and finally convinced my dad to attend a, a, a church service. And at that church service, he ran into his heavenly father who did change his life. As he gave his life to Jesus, uh, his life was transformed from a life of violence and drunkenness to a life that was lived for Christ. My dad entered ministry, he got married, and had two boys. My younger brother and I grew up in a Christian home. We knew we were loved. Uh, it was a fairly British home. Uh, there wasn't a lot of hugs or cuddles or, or affection. Oh, cool. oh. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Warren, I'll never need another hug again. <clears throat> Um, we knew we were loved though yeah. <laughs> um, and we also knew that if we transgressed the law of the household uh, there would be punishment and it was usually a, a spanking and, and at times we would uh, feel a wee bit of my dad's Irish temper as well um, and I know that when my dad was young as he grew up in his household there, there was lots of abuse lots of violence and a good beating every once in a while we never experienced anything like that we knew we were being punished in, in love uh, because we had uh, uh, transgressed the law, we had consequences for what we had done. Um, and you know, we never questioned our dad's love for us, and consequently I never questioned God's love for me either. Um, and you know, I know that there's, there's lots of uh, difficulty in trying to reconcile the God of the New Testament seeming that punishing God and the God of grace and love in the New Testament. I've never had that issue because I know if you do something wrong, there's going to be a consequence, right? Uh, for the Israelites, it was uh, a conquest and exile. For, uh, for me, it was a, a spanking. <laughs> my, my dad uh, was a solo pastor throughout all of his ministry. Um, and because of his great devotion to God and his, his, uh, his great work ethic, he, uh, he was very, very busy in church work. And, and it kept him very busy, and we didn't see him uh, all that much. Um, I know that we always ate supper together, however. We always ate supper together. We listened to CBC News and As It Happens, and then we had family devotions. Um, and then my dad would be uh, usually off for a meeting or uh, to visit someone. You know, when we talk about the prodigal son, I have to say that that is our family story. Uh, it's the story of our family to a T. My younger brother, um, he got messed up and ended living on, the, living on the streets of Vancouver. He was addicted to heroin. And, and I was the uh, perfect, uh, faithful older brother. Um, I tried to make everything look right so that I would try to please my parents. Um, and I had uh, sadly written my brother off many times. And even though our dad had never had any kind of uh, role model, anyone to help him um, figure things out, he'd been abandoned by his own dad and family, and so he had no picture of what this would look like. In the midst of all that my brother was going through, we saw just an amazingly new dimension of our dad's love for us. The love of a father whose heart was broken for both his boys and who desired above all things for his kids to be safe and healthy and back at home. Growing up, I had just a great, loving dad. In fact, he was almost too good to be true. Even now, if I had to kind of identify the faults of my father, I'd be hard-pressed to do so. I've often said that my dad is simply as good as a man can be. 
Uh, I didn't choose him. He didn't choose me. Somehow in the sovereignty of God, we just ended up together. And I just want to publicly thank God for my good, good father. Does this mean that everything was perfect when we were growing up? <laughs> um, not so much. <laughs> you see, my dad, my dear dad, uh, was a high achiever. He did everything well. He had high expectations and high standards. He was organized and he was careful. And his one and only son, listen, had a bad case of ADHD. <laughs> Can't be you, Kat. Attention deficit disorder. <laughs> and so you know where this is going, don't you? <laughs> he could never understand why I was so impulsive and so, um, so unfocused and so anxious. And I couldn't understand his perfectly ordered world. One day we were building a fence together. And I was so excited to be building this fence with my dad. And what do little boys like to do more than any, anything else? They love to hammer nails. And so I was hammering the slats uh, on the fence. And, and every time I would strike the nail, I would put two or three dings in his precious cedar planks. And I remember him being so angry with me. And um, my little heart was wounded. Um, but it's all good, you know, we talked that over long ago, he feels badly about it. But that was just kind of a little parable uh, of our relationship. You know, the father-son relationship, and, and I know you know this, can be extremely complex. So can the father-daughter relationship at times as well. Um, yeah. But here's what I've learned. Even though my dad and I are worlds apart in personality and in the way we do things, we're very, very close. And we have learned together to celebrate our, our differences. And it's okay to be different from your dad <laughs> as long as you've worked things out and love him. Mm -hmm. Love you, Dad. <laughs> you know, this relationship with our earthly fathers is affected our relationship and our understanding of God. And, and our understanding of God is foundational. A.W. Tozer, the great theologian, once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us because it affects every choice we make mm -hmm. and everything we do. What we believe about the very nature and character of God affects everything in our lives. That's right. And this, nature, this view of God is strongly affected by our own relationship with our earthly fathers. If we had a dad who was loving and caring like you did, Warren, yep. and was active in our lives, imparting wisdom by both word and deed, then we will see our Heavenly Father through that same lens. If, however, our dad was absent, we begin to see God as an absent deity. Maybe brought us into life, but then just left us there to figure it out all on our own. If we had a dad who was a tyrant or abusive, we may see God as unloving and abusive, and we want to have nothing to do with him. So our own experience colors our understanding of God. But we have to make sure and be careful that it does not define it. Our definition of God as a father must come from an objective source of truth, which we as believers recognize as the Word of God, the Bible. And so what does the Bible tell us about the very nature and character of God as our Heavenly Father? One very clear snapshot comes from the life of Jesus, the stories of Jesus as told in the prodigal as recorded in Luke chapter 15. And so let's examine that parable this morning and see what does it tell us about the very nature of our Heavenly Father. Kevin, I find it interesting that both Dickens and Shakespeare referred to the story of the prodigal son as the greatest short story uh, that's ever been told. 
And you know the story well, don't you? The story about a, a son and his dad. And um, the story be actually begins tragically. Because what we discover is a home where there is conflict. Conflict that was so thick you could cut it with a knife. The father loves his son. But the son hates his father. Who can understand this? It just seems that the young lad came out of the chute with an axe to grind. He was angry. He was always angry. Everything was hard for him. The, the rules of the home, the values of the home had no value to him. He, he was against everything that his father was for and for everything that his father was against. And it was difficult. And many, many nights, this father who uh, would go to bed with just a broken, broken heart asking the question, what is wrong with my boy? And maybe he suspected it because one day the, the, the boy comes to his dad and says, Dad, I can't take it anymore. I'm out of here. I want my share of the inheritance and I want it now because I am gone. I think there's some of you in this room who know exactly what that feels like. Don't miss what's happening here. When, the, when did you get your inheritance? when your father died. What the boy is saying, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. Note the play on words, I can't wait for you to die. And because that ain't happening anytime soon, I want my inheritance now. The father consents. Now work with me here. Imagine with me, because there comes a time when the, when the dad has to put the money into the hand of the boy. There are no bank transfers here. There would have to be the physical contact between this aching dad and this rebellious son where he takes the money and gives it to his boy. He looks into his face. As he gives the boy the money, does the boy look back at his dad? He has a tear in his eye. Does the son see it? There's an I love you on his lips. Does the boy look up? He takes the money, and he turns away. The father has got to ask, is my boy going to turn around and look back at me? As he heads down the lane and down the driveway, the father again wonders, will he look at me? Disappearing down the horizon, the father just sees the back of his head. The Bible says, and Jesus says in this parable, that the boy proceeds to go to a distant land to do riotous living. <laughs> Sounds kind of fun. <laughs> riotous living. Except what lies ahead is bankruptcy, a famine, starvation, and a pigsty. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Until the Bible says that the boy comes to his senses. You know, it's in the midst of that famine, the bankruptcy, the, the pig, pig pen, yeah. that uh, the son remembers, boy, my father's servants, they've got a roof over their heads, and they've got food to eat, and I've got none of that. So he, he recognizes his own selfishness, his own sinfulness, and he decides to return to his father and repent. In fact, we're told he practiced his repentance speech, and we can imagine as he's walking down the road, he's going, I've sinned against you, Father, and against heaven. Please take me back as one of your hired servants. 
Well, we're told that while the son is still a ways off, the father sees him. We can only imagine that every day the father got up each morning and wondered, maybe today's the day my son will return. Each day he worked in the fields alongside his other workers. You can just see he's got one eye on the field in his work and he's got the other eye on the road saying, maybe, maybe today. And that one day happens. He sees a lone distance in the uh, lone figure in the distance, and, and as it starts to walk closer and closer to the home, you know he recognizes the gate of his son. There's only any any father could recognize the gate of this, uh, you know of his child who's wandered away. And so as the father recognizes him, he, he begins to run towards him. And remember that men wore these long gowns at that time. And so you can imagine the dad's just hiking up his gown, maybe even showing his underwear as he runs madly towards his son. And as he gets there, he grabs his son and embracing him, and the tense tells us that he kissed him repeatedly over and over and over again. Imagine the son encountering his father, and like the picture of Rembrandt over here, the son's probably got his eyes down. He, he can't, he just cannot look his dad in the face, filled with shame and sorrow. Do you, do you think, Kevin, at any point, uh, the boy does look up at his dad's face? Well, you know, I imagine that the dad probably took and cupped his son's chin in his face and and, and just lifted him up because, you know, Psalm chapter 3 tells us yeah. that God, what? He's the lifter of our faces. Yeah. I can imagine as the earthly father portraying the heavenly father, he's drawing his eyes back to him mm. just, to, just to say, you know what? I love you. I forgive you. I'm glad you're home. And their eyes finally they meet. They meet, yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. And the son begins his confession before he gets half of it out. His dad's ordering his servants to kill the fatted calf, to bring a robe, to bring shoes, to bring the ring, to restore his son back to his standing as a son. He plans this party to celebrate the son who was once dead has now returned. And the party begins. Mm. Yeah, you know, uh, Warren, you forgot one important person in this story. Okay. There is, there is a, a younger son and a dad, That's but right. there's an older son too. Mm. And being that older son, I have to give my due, uh, <laughs> myself my due here. But that older son in the story... The older brother, he was working dutifully away in the fields. Now, what had happened was when his younger brother had took, taken off, he was doing double duty. He had to do extra work to keep that farm running because suddenly there wasn't that uh, younger brother who I'm not sure if he was a good worker or not, but anyway, he wasn't there. So he had had to work hard and he was a hard worker. He finished that day's work that day and uh, headed back to the house. He was going to get washed up and uh, was looking forward to probably having a uh, you know, quiet dinner with his dad as probably was their custom. And he got close to the house and he heard music. And that was unusual. And then he heard like what sounded like a real celebration mm. going on. And he started to get nervous because he thought, man, did I forget something? Was my dad throwing a party today and I forgot about it? And uh, should I have been here? And he's, he's nervous because he's all grimy and dirty. And here in the house are these wonderfully dressed people celebrating something. Uh, he's too humiliated to go in. And, and so he catches the attention of a passing servant and, and asks him, what's going on? Well, that's when he was shocked and even angered to some degree. The servant told him that his brother, the one who had taken their father's money and bolted and uh, uh, wasted it on reckless living, that younger brother had returned home. And their father had killed the fatted calf and they were having a great party to celebrate his return. Well, if he was a little angry before or upset, he got really angry now because here he was, he was dirty and grimy and they were celebrating his brother. He refused to go into the party. So his father humbly comes out to him and says, son, please come into the party. Help me welcome our, our, your, your brother back. Help us celebrate his return. 
the older boy looks at his dad and says, Dad, I'm not coming in. Because you know what? I've been working faithfully for you all these years. Never once have I refused to do anything that you've told me to do or asked me to do. I'm the best worker on this farm. I am the, the best worker of all of them, the servants or anybody. And in all those years, you've never thrown me a party. Dad, you've never even given me one of your scrawny little goats for, so me and my friends can have a barbecue. <laughs> but what do you do? This other son of yours shows up who wasted your money on prostitutes and you kill the fatted calf. You're throwing him this amazingly lavish party right now. And how can that be right? The father looks into that older boy's eyes and says, Son, don't you get it? Don't you see? You've been with me this whole time. Sure you have. And everything that's mine is yours. But this is truly a wonderful time. It's a time we have to celebrate. We have to rejoice. Because your younger brother was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost. And now he's found. Mm. Mm. What do you do when somebody you really love doesn't do what you want them to do? What do you do when somebody you really love makes a devastating choice that you know will cripple their heart and their future? How much influence or power or control do you exert in such a situation? Let's rephrase the question a little bit differently. How do you rescue someone from themselves? Well, you can rescue somebody who's in danger of fire or flood or just this past week, remember we heard about those guys who were trapped on the side of that, that really tall building and there was a lifeline. Like, there's always a lifeline for somebody in danger who needs to be rescued. But how do you rescue somebody from themselves? Can I ask one more question? Does Jesus rescue people from themselves? if they don't want to be rescued? Free will, here it always, it always comes up at the worst time, doesn't it? That notion that everybody gets a life and everybody is free to do with that life what they choose to do. In fact, God is so committed to this, God is so committed to free choice that he lets people go to hell if that's what they choose to do. I know that's a stark statement, but I want to communicate to you this truth that people have a life and they get to choose what they do with that life. This father knew that. He knew that he could beg, he could cajole, he could bribe, but he knew that his son had already left the home. And if you must, you can, you can beg, you can encourage people, you can talk to them, but in the final analysis, you have to give them the right to choose. Here's what this father knew. He knew that if he was ever going to get his boy back, he had to let him go. That in releasing him were the seeds, the possible seeds of his restoration. Is there somebody that you need to let go of? Amidst your many, many prayers, do you need to surrender someone to another Heavenly Father? Mm 
You know, sometimes when we pray for people, when we love and we pray, and that's all we can do, sometimes in our helplessness, we are the strongest. The boy had to come to his senses, the story says. Remember that day when you had to come to your senses? We all need that time in our lives when the circumstances of life, when the Spirit of God is able to talk to us, and for the first time, we come to our senses. You know, Warren, it's in that releasing that uh, the Heavenly Father does not remain passive, mm. but He is watching and waiting. Mm. I'm reminded about who's telling this parable. I mean, it's Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. He's telling the story of the, of, the, of the Heavenly Father because who knew the Heavenly Father better than Jesus? He had spent all eternity with Him. He knew Him better than anyone. And the picture that He paints is one who is watching and waiting for a lost child to return. You know, even though my dad was absent both physically and emotionally, I still remember an important element of this watching and waiting that was evident in my relationship with my father. In a time in my military experience, I switched from one unit to the other. And I ran into my father about a month after that transaction took place. And, and in our conversation, he mentioned how he understood or knew that I had made that transfer, even though I had made no mention of it whatsoever. And so, you know, it told me that despite the fact that he was essentially absent throughout most of my life, he was still watching and aware of what I was doing. That, that seems quite meaningful to you, Kevin, that such a little thing, mm -hmm. you know, made such a big difference. And if there's a dad here who, who, who feels estranged from a son or distance, could, could, what, what little thing could yeah. this dad do? Yeah, that brought me great comfort because in, in, in that, it helped me to understand that my dad did care for me and that he was interested in my life. And you know, even in just that small little thing, if you're out there today and, and you're a dad or you're a mom and you're estranged from your children, you know, just that one small little step yeah. that can indicate that I do love you, I do care about you, I am there for you, can begin that restoration and that, and that journey back towards, um, you know, my dad passed away over 30 years ago. But I still remember that. You hang on Because to it. it's important yeah. to, to, to help me to understand that in the midst of all the hurt and the suffering, there was still the ability and, the, and, the, and that caring uh, interest in my own life. Wow. And so in understanding how our Heavenly Father is constantly watching and waiting for us, it helped me to reframe three important questions I think all of us ask as God's people. Instead of how can I find God, I began to grasp that in reality it's how can I let myself be found by God. He is the one that's actively pursuing each and every one of us. Instead of asking the question, how can I know God better, I now question, how can I allow myself to be known by God? You see, someone said that God is the great hound of heaven. He is the one that actively pursues us and wants to get to know us. And if we'll just open our lives and ourselves open to Him, He will begin to show Himself to us in, a, in an increasingly uh, potent way. And as a child of God, instead of how can I love God, I began to reframe the question, how can I allow myself to be loved by Him? Hmm. Yeah, it's a powerful thought, isn't it? You know, I got thinking that uh, this story is a story of excess. Mm -hmm. um, everyone in the story really goes over the top. The, uh, older, the younger boy, he's excessive and, and over the top in his greed. Uh, the older son, he's excessive in his disrespect for his father and his hatred even of his younger brother. The father is excessive as well. But he's excessive in his love and his generosity and his grace. 
He's excessively generous when that boy comes to him uh, and he has to release him and gives him the money to, to go. He gives him his, his inheritance. He's excessively persistent and patient as he waits and watches. He's excessive in his love and compassion and, and his grace when he, when he sees the boy coming down the road and he throws off all cultural norms of the time and runs down the road to embrace that boy, to hug him and to kiss him and welcome him home. And then he's excessive and he's extravagant as he, as he lets everybody know, the boy who came home, his servants, the neighbors, everybody know that he loved that boy. He forgave that boy. He welcomed him home that he was part of the family again. And then he continues that extravagant love with that older boy as well. That boy who insults his dad, who disowns his, his brother, who minimizes the blessings that he's received in his life. That father is extravagant in his love and grace and forgiveness and never flinches in his choice, but lovingly invites that boy to join the celebration and to celebrate and to enjoy all the father's riches and blessings. You know, I have, uh, I have many family members and many friends who have uh, strayed from the path, a God-honoring path, or, or are not in a God-focused uh, relationship with Him anymore. And, and I, I yearn for them to return to, to God. And if my flawed human heart as a father and as a friend aches for them to return or to find God's love, how much more does our Father God's heart break for them and ache for them? Someone once said that it, the heart of the Father burns with an immense desire to bring his children home. And the father in Jesus' story burned with an immense desire. He never gave up hope on that younger son for him to physically return. He never gave up hope on the older boy to return emotionally to that family. His heart burned with an immense desire to bring those children home. You know, right now, my, uh, my daughter, the middle of our, our three children, uh, my only daughter, is, is thousands of miles from home. <laughs> yeah, she's in Southeast Asia. She's 20 years old and she's exploring the world and uh, seeing new lands and new cultures. She's been gone for months or she'll be gone for more months. And uh, I, I love my little girl and I miss her terribly. And I would do anything in my power uh, to be able to bring her home safely. I'd love it for her to be tomorrow, but it sounds like it's going to be December. Uh, but uh, I'd do anything in my power to bring her home safely because I miss her so much. And in the same way, I want nothing more than to have a healed and reconciled relationship with, uh, with my boys. Um, I, if there's any, um, any break in our relationship, I want to make sure that I do what I can to heal that and bring them home into relationship with me. I mentioned earlier, guys, that uh, my brother was struggling with a drug addiction. He was living on the streets of Vancouver. And at that time, uh, I saw a new and a deeper dimension of our dad's love for us. Uh, we didn't know where my brother was, hadn't heard from him for months. Maybe it was years, I'm not sure. Um, I'd come to the conclusion that I, I probably was never going to see him again, and if I did, it would be basically in a box uh, at his service, uh, his funeral service. And I really wasn't prepared for what my dad did to, in an effort to find my brother and in an effort to bring him home. Um, Dad, as I described, is a picture of, of duty and responsibility to his pastoral work. Um, out of the blue, he took off for Vancouver. Now, I'm not even sure if he told us that he was going, uh, but he went to the east side of Vancouver. There he lived in a roach and a rodent-infested motel, and uh, he spent his days there uh, walking around. Basically, uh, spending every day watching and waiting as he walked around with a picture of my, uh, my brother asking drug addicts and prostitutes and bar owners if they'd seen this boy. And there was no, no luck, no, to no avail. After doing that for some time, he found it was time to, to return home. Um, and uh, 
the day of his return, he decided to take one more lap around the, the block that his hotel was on. And uh, there, in a place he had walked dozens of times before, he ran into my brother living out of his car. And my brother was basically a skeleton. He was disheveled, covered with sores. He was unwashed, unshaven. But our dad uh, went up and hugged him and told him, son, I've come to take you home. And my brother did come home and uh, straightened his life around. And, uh, you know, I'm really honored because my, my dad and my mom and my brother and his family are here this morning. And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. Well, yeah. But my, our story reminds me of that, that, that sentence that I, I said earlier. The heart of the father, it burns with an immense desire to bring his children home. And if a flawed, broken, humbled earthly father can love his children as extravagantly as our dad loves us, how much more does our heavenly father love us? And does his heart burn with a desire to bring us home into the relationship that he wants to have with us? You know, my dad didn't get it quite right because in the story of the prodigal, he was supposed to kind of stay at home, but my dad went out looking for my brother. Um, uh, and and isn't, that, isn't that a great picture of our Heavenly Father? Um, God didn't wait uh, on the porch of heaven, but he came to this earth. He came looking for us out of a deep desire to bring us home in the form of Jesus, to help us live in the relationship that we were created for. And isn't that a beautiful picture of the extravagant love of God? That he gave his only son to seek and to save the lost, to reconcile lost humanity to himself, to bring his children home. Well, Wes, you know, um, I just had this thought that this story of the prodigal is being rewritten every day. Right now as we speak, there. There are, there are boys and girls. Girls can be prodigals too, absolutely, yeah. on the streets of Vancouver, even on the streets of Calgary. Yeah. Uh, there may be a prodigal in this building uh, this morning, and it's time to come home. Yeah. It's time to come home. But please, 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 let, let me say one more thing. Do not look at this story and view God as a weak, passive, powerless old man waiting on his porch for his boy to come home. May I remind you of something, that the God on the porch is Almighty God. Mm. May I remind you that He is the God that creates this world and everything in it. That's right. I often reflect, you know, the, the greatest minds of our time could not create a fly. But our God, He creates this world, and then He creates the heavens and the stars, and with His hand, He flings out billions and billions of star suns, and He shepherds billions and billions of worlds out there in an endless, eternal uh, universe. And even now as we speak, He's creating new stars and new worlds. He is almighty, eternal, everlasting God, and He flicks the continents, and they crash into each other, and mountains rise up. He is Almighty God. And I say all of that, listen. I say all of that to say this. You have an incredible Father. You have an incredible Father who smiles on you every day and who loves you, who, who cares for you and has hopes and dreams for you. If you're here and you had a dad who was distant or was, who was harsh or who was abusive or who was, who was religious, or I, I had, had a woman say to me recently that whenever she thinks of her dad, 
She thinks of a back of a newspaper. That's the picture she has in her mind. You should have had a better dad. Who knows why he was so broken and what were the factors that led to that? And, and you have to feel the pain that you feel. I don't want to minimize that, but you have to know that you have a great heavenly father who loves you so very, very much. Let your heavenly father love you. Let him love you and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are the apple of his eye. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, in a group this large, there's, everyone's got a different experience because we're all unique. And so there are a variety of experiences here this morning. What I hope you understand is that in spite of your experiences or the hurts that maybe you've suffered, whether it was an abusive or even an absent earthly father or whatever kind of experience you have, let me encourage you this morning to do not allow that to define yourself as a son or a daughter of God. The truth is, as you mentioned, Warren, God loves you earnestly and intently. And he wants to be not only in your life, but he wants to be your life. Mm -hmm. And yes, an absent father can greatly affect you. It has affected me, but it didn't define me. Both my, uh, my brothers and my sisters, you know, we still reflect on the fact that an absent father has affected us. But, and having a, you know, not having a supportive father in our home growing up, um, it affected us, but it did not define who we would become. You know, all of us have a dynamic personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ today. Um, my older brother, my older sister, and I all celebrated over 30 years of marriage mm. to the husband or the wife of our youth. My little sister is about to celebrate their 20th year of marriage oh, to the husband of her youth. And all of our kids, they, we've, we've been able to, to be interactive and to be, to be strategic and involved in their lives. So, yes, having a, an absent father affected me, but it did not define me. Mm. And so God has become our definition of what it means to really be a true man of God or a woman of God, created in His image. And let me tell you this morning, God will help you to become the best Mm. father, daughter, the best husband, wife, mother, father, whatever you're called to be, that He desires for you to be. He will help you to be all that He wants you to be. And and even though your your past will affect your future, it does not define you. Mm. Mm. Well said, you guys. Well said. Um, I want to just take into what you said there about our relationships helping us to be the best that we can be. You know, I know that our relationships aren't always perfect. In in fact, there are times when our relationships with those we care about, those we love, can be extremely painful. Uh, Too painful to put into words, too difficult for us to describe. Um, There are times in our relationships when we just feel like walking away. We feel like giving up and and letting go. Letting those who who are struggling, who are suffering, just struggle and suffer because we don't know what to do. We don't know how to help Mm -hmm. them. And we don't want this to seem like a a surefire answer uh, for healing all relationships. But, you know, sometimes in our relationships, we just have to hope. We just have to extend our love, extend our arms and continue to hope and to wait and to love. That's what God uh, has done in his effort to bring us home to him. He never gives up hope. The heart of the father burns with an immense desire to bring his children home. And something I believe that we want to emphasize is that when your relationships are strained, when they're broken, when when they're messed up, please don't give up hope. Because the father in the story never gave up hope. He continued to watch and wait down that road. And our God, our loving heavenly father, never, ever gives up hope. 
There is hope, I believe, for the renewal of relationships that aren't perfect. Like the relationships that might be breaking your heart today. It may not come just like you imagine it. It may not come in the time frame you imagine it. It may not look anything like you want it to look like. But there is hope because our God is a God of hope. We just have to keep extending our love and our grace and our forgiveness as we've received it from him to others. We have to extend our arms and keep watching and keep waiting. Wes, say that one more time. The heart of the Father. The heart of the Father burns with an immense desire to bring his children home. Fantastic. And uh, I just want you to know about Kevin that he came from a family of three, uh, no father in the home, uh, and all three children uh, have doctorate degrees and are helping humanity and making this world a better place. And... um, Some of you here today are single parents, a single dad or a single mom. We had a mom here yesterday who came to our single mom's ministry who said to us, she, says, we, she said, I celebrate Father's Day as a single mom because I have to be both a mom and a dad to my children. And so if, if that is your situation, we understand Father's Day can, can sometimes be a painful day, but we want to acknowledge you and let you know we're praying for you and we love you and, uh, and we support you. So we're going to have people who, who are coming uh, to pray. So if you're a prodigal, and you may be, or if you're a yearning parent, or maybe you have some kind of a broken relationship, you just come forward. We want to talk with you. We want to pray for you. And- Lord Jesus in heaven, we thank you that your heart burns with desire for us, and we thank you that we have a Father in heaven who loves us. Mm -hmm. Amen, and God bless you.